From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Thursday, April 23rd. Today, coronavirus has affected California's coast in profound ways. Fishermen have fewer places to sell their catches because of restaurant shutdowns. Surfers are getting ticketed for trying to catch a wave. The public aches to see Carlsbad sparkling bioluminescence, gather around fire pits at Dockweiler and Corona del Mar, and watch hang gliders jump off the Fort Funston cliffs. Meanwhile, scientists are studying whether it's safe to be near the beach at all. No one at the LA Times knows the Golden State Coast better than Rosanna Shaw. She has tracked everything from the plight of endangered species in the Pacific Ocean to sea level rise affecting the communities dotted all along its 1,100 miles. And now, like most of us, Rosanna's world is consumed by coronavirus. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Rosanna, what are public officials saying about us being able to go back to the coast? We're, I mean, we're in California. It's starting to get hot. We want to go to the beach and the piers, all of that. But obviously, we haven't been able to because of coronavirus. Yeah, it's been super interesting for me. A large part of my coverage of the coast is the Coastal Act, you know, which is this pretty unique law in the state that guarantees public access to the beach. You know, the beach in California belongs to everyone. And I've written about countless access battles up and down the state and, you know, what our government agencies are doing to make sure beaches are open to everyone always. And now here we are, all the beaches are closed. Everyone is saying, don't go to the beach. People are getting ticketed for surfing rather than putting a gate up that blocks people out. You know, folks are being told to stay home, don't crowd areas, take extra precautions, help slow the spread of COVID. I think there's no end right now, but I called the Coastal Commission recently and they've been keeping track of all of the beach closures. You know, they've granted emergency waivers to local officials who need to close beaches because of, you know, public health concerns and precautions. And there is this system in place to make sure that once the shelter in place orders are lifted, that these beaches will immediately be open. But right now there is no kind of hard deadline or end in sight. And what's interesting is that what really started the crackdown on making sure that people stay at home was a couple of weekends ago, the sight of thousands of people just rambling around Huntington Beach next to the pier and down Main Street, like if everything was cool. I mean, I would say for the most part now, I think people get it. I mean, there is this frustration that a lot of people are feeling. This has just truly upended our relationship with the outdoors. I mean, especially in California, where the beach and the ocean is so intrinsically part of who we are. And when we're anxious and stressed, like we want to go to the beach, right? Being by the water is something you usually do to relax, to calm down, to reset. It's meditative. It doesn't help that right now the weather is getting so nice and it's, you know, classic beach weather to be told now that no, actually these places could potentially put you more at risk, potentially put other people more at risk is just so counter to everything that we feel about the coast. You know, I'm heartened to see how many people are taking kind of these orders and these precautions to heart. I really do think most people get it. Those photos from the first few weekends in early April and March, I'm not seeing as much. I'm not sure about you, but I haven't been seeing those as much. Um, I spoke to Surfrider Foundation the other day, and they've launched a new campaign telling people to just stay home, shred later. I mean, they've shifted their messaging as the information has evolved from one of, if you're going to the beach, here are all the social distancing precautions that you should take to one of just, you know, let's do this for the community. Let's help 
ease the impact on hospitals that are overwhelmed right now. And the more we do this now, the faster we can contain this virus and get back out into the ocean worry-free. And I think that is the main messaging that I'm getting a lot from most of the folks in the coastal world now. And it's really interesting because at first you don't think about coronavirus impacting the coast, yet the California Coastal Commission, one of their officials was one of the first state officials to contract coronavirus. Yeah, the reality of COVID-19 really hit the coastal world pretty early. I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but it was early March when we were all at, you know, the monthly Coastal Commission meeting and it was in Santa Cruz in March and people were you know, starting to elbow bump each other instead of shaking hands. And there was some intense Clorox wiping of the mic, you know, every time someone came up to public comment. But, you know, for the most part, it was business as usual for state agencies at that time. And some people were taking precautions, but it didn't feel real yet. And I'll never forget coming back to LA at the end of that week, you know, I was about to go to bed and getting that call that the chair of the commission had tested positive for COVID-19. He went public with it and because, you know, he realized as he was thinking back to all the people that he could have been in contact with, it was a lot of people, you know, like many people who got COVID-19, he was doing well under isolation, and then his symptoms took a turn for the worse, and he had to be hospitalized on a ventilator for quite some time. And thankfully, he just said recently that he's stable, he's on the mend. But yeah, that rattled a lot of the folks that I'm constantly in touch with in the coastal world. And this has been something that's been top of mind since early March. You've done a couple of stories about that impact that coronavirus and COVID-19 has had on the coast. One of the interesting ones was from groups saying, hey, everyone, we got to eat more fish. Oh, I'm so glad you asked about that. Yeah. You know, I had heard stories in March, you know, about fishermen going out to sea that week that all the shelter in place orders happened and the restaurants got shut down. And those fishermen coming back a few days later with their catch and having the world completely changed by the time they docked. But about 80% of the seafood that we eat in the U.S., you know, domestic caught seafood happens in restaurants. Like we as Americans, we just don't buy seafood that much at home. And now with all the restaurants closed, that market has really been struggling. You know, I talked to a fisherman association in California who said that their export market has also basically vanished. Like think about all the Dungeness crab that is a huge industry in California, not having a Chinese New Year market back in January. And now with no restaurants in the U.S. to sell to, they're still doing takeout and stuff. But this is just something that is really impacting a huge part of our coastal economy. There were all these PSAs coming out in the last couple of weeks about, you know, help your local bookstores, help your restaurants, help your local everything. And, you know, a PSA that really caught my eye was just all of the environmental groups saying, buy more domestic seafood, please. You know, I remember an email from the Environmental Defense Fund, you know, who was asking people to support these local fishermen. And historically, you know, U.S. fishing operations and environmentalists have spent decades butting heads on certain issues, but they have also worked together to develop smarter and more sustainable fishing practices and, you know, together turn many fisheries from federal disasters into great comeback stories. And I thought about it, it's like, yeah, you know, the fish that are caught with U.S. standards are sustainable and part of our local economy. And it makes sense that the U.S. has some of the healthiest and most sustainable seafood in the world. And so to have these groups now asking people to help support this market was a really powerful message.
This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. Is the coast seeing any sort of, I don't know, renaissance or just a healthier coast the way you're seeing it in Yosemite where animals are now roaming around like they own the place? (laughs) I I mean, I think there has been some indications of that. I mean, the beach is a wild place, but a lot of the beaches in Southern California are, you know, pretty manicured with artificial beach nourishment every every once in a while. But I I think in general, I mean, this was... beautiful reminder that the beach is indeed part of the environment in a very wild, natural place along the coast. You also wrote a story about whales. Whales are continuing to die uh, in California's coast, but scientists, because of all these shutdowns, are having a harder time examining the cause of their deaths. Yeah, it's been really tough for a lot of researchers, especially, you know, the types of projects that I write about along the coast, you know, you have to be out in the field, you're with a lot of people. You know, I've been on dive boats where super tiny research vessels where you're cramming like six to 10 divers onto one very small deck. And with social distancing precautions like that just doesn't really happen. And right now is, like you said, a critical time for whale surveys, counting them, documenting how many get stranded as the gray whales pass through California during their very long migration between Baja and the Arctic. And usually people are, you know, standing out there counting on the beach together, doing this work, and we all have to practice, you know, these social distancing precautions. So there has been limitations on that. And this was a critical year for us to figure out why all these gray whales were dying all of a sudden. And similar with bird migration counts and other species that are time sensitive or season sensitive, I think there's been a lot of limitations to that kind of field research right now. I did the story last year, too, about this huge effort in California to revive an endangered abalone species. You know, scientists have been growing them in a lab in Bodega Bay for years and putting them out in the water in Southern California and slowly starting this healing process. And I remember thinking when all the universities had to close and all the labs were starting to close, you know, what about the abalone? So I spoke to the researcher who I called Mama Abalone in my story, you know, who's facing the same closures at UC Davis, Bodega Bay, as all the other universities in California. And her staff is down, she's feeding them and doing all she can to keep the abalone alive. But a lot of the plants are pending these restrictions. And I think this is the case for a lot of really meaningful projects up and down the coast. So coronavirus is going to have a long-term impact on the coast in ways a lot of a lot of the public might not even imagine. Yeah, there's just so much important science that has to happen in the field. Even something like with the abalone, you have to go out on a boat every week, a couple times a week to grab kelp to feed them. And, you know, these are all limitations when we're unable to be in groups or work together in groups or spot each other, you know, whether it's fishing or research or whatever. And when it's time sensitive to seasons, like there's this window of time that nature is giving you to study a certain species or a certain population or a certain time when whales are migrating past a certain lookout point in California and all these migration patterns. And I think everything right now is kind of in this limbo that a lot of researchers are, you know, trying to respect all of the precautions that we should be taking. And, you know, I spoke to one researcher the other day and she was like, yeah, we're making contingency plans for contingency plans because everything keeps changing. 
Finally, since your beat is the coast, you're at the coast, you're at the beach almost all the time for your research. What advice do you have for those of us who do want to go to the coast but are just like really antsy at home? I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, personally, I've been, you know, for my own mental sanity, I've been taking walks outside in my neighborhood with a mask on at really odd hours during the day to make sure I'm not, I'm minimizing my exposure to other people. But I, I do think there is kind of a patience that has to happen. We're in such, you know, unusual, unprecedented times. And the one thing that has come up a lot, is it safe to go to the beach? You know, can I go into the water? You know, the science is changing. And I feel like literally every hour, and there's so many unknowns, no one is an expert on this virus right now. But one thing that seems to be consistent in the messaging is that now that we're talking about the possibilities of how far this virus can travel by air, think about the beach. It's usually windy, or at least there's a little bit of a breeze. So even if you're like 20 some feet away from someone, there are just so many unknowns. And you know, there was an interesting op-ed that was published in the LA Times, I think a week ago, by a researcher at Cal State Channel Islands. She studies sea level rise and how much the California coast is eroding from sea rise and human alterations to the shoreline. And she made the point that, look, right now we can't go to the beach because of COVID-19 closures. But what if we couldn't actually go to the beach because there were no beaches left? That's a real reality for many communities in California as sea level rise continues to creep in. And we're just at the beginning of figuring out how to adapt and prioritize and figure out what's worth protecting. And she made the argument that the longer we wait, the more loss is at stake. I think all the environmental groups I've been staying in touch with understand that we're in a pandemic right now. There's so much anxiety and uncertainty and we all can't stop thinking about COVID-19 and they're trying to be sensitive to this. But climate change is still happening. Pollution is still a problem. These are issues that have been gaining momentum in California and elsewhere. And so I think as we're all stuck at home wishing that we could be at the beach, I think one thing that we could be thinking about is just all these other issues that are impacting our coast that aren't going to go away just because COVID-19 has put some things on stop. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.arellano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Arellano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Keflin and our original music was composed by Andrew Eben. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by all my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.